Pat, we're gonna be late. I'm gonna miss the previews, Pat, let's go. I waste more gas waiting for you. Yep, here I am waiting again. I'll just wait for you, Pat, no big deal. Ugh, he always does this to me. Everyone always does this to me. I just want to see the previews, let's go. I spend more time sitting here waiting in the car for him. For people, my wife, my kids, doesn't matter, I wait. Pat, how about it, huh? We're gonna miss the dancing hot dogs, Pat. I just wanted to see the movie. For once, get there on time, get my snacks, popcorn, goobers, a little Coke, nice, it's fine. No, no. You gotta make it all about you. What about me, Pat? How is this helping me? How do I suffer at your hands again? It's a plot against me. And you're all in on it. You too, Jenkins. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Good, fine. I know you were still my favorite too, Jenkins. I see you on Sunday morning. I'm the one who loses out again. I hope you're happy, Pat. I hope you're happy. You're killing me! I wait and life passes me by. I'm the victim here. I am. Me. No one else. Me, not you, Pat. You're the victim? You hit me! And I'm pretty sure my leg is broken. Fine, I'll take you to the hospital. Get in the car. I'm going to miss the previews! Hey, before, uh, before we get in, I want to tell you this Wednesday, at my house, uh, Michelle and I hosted our first Connect group. And, and you've all heard about them, or, or most of you have heard about them. Uh, it was our first one, and we had about 16 folks, and I see some of you here uh, this morning, gathered in our uh, living room to talk about what God had been teaching us as we've been attending to the kinds of habits uh, that correlate with chronic unhappiness. And we uh, talked through the first five weeks. If, you're, if this is your first time here, this is week six. Uh, I was extremely encouraged uh, afterward to see how many of us were able to see in what we've considered together uh, the ways that we ourselves need to grow and change. H have others of you experienced that too? Uh, this morning, we're going to move to our fifth habit, and I want to tell you right off the bat that this one's different than the others. Uh, this one is less a matter of what you do and more a matter of how you see. So less about the behaviors that you engage in and more about the way that you tend to see the world around you. Uh, the habit we're considering is this. The habit of seeing yourself as a victim. Now, because this is a habit that primarily has to do with how you see, it makes it challenging in two ways, and here they are. First, this habit tends to be a lot harder to see in yourself than the other habits. You will very unlikely imagine yourself as the guy in the car who's going on and on even though he's to blame. That's the first thing that makes it challenging. And then the second thing is that this habit is actually easier to see in the people around you than the other habits. We all know that guy who always thinks he's got it harder than everyone else, right? You all know 
That woman who before she even comes into the room, you can hear the distant sound of that sad violin playing. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm going to ask you not to look at her, to, to let that other guy get out of your mind and to try very hard to see yourself this morning. Because when we learn to actually pay attention, this habit of seeing myself as the victim is absolutely something that every one of us will engage in at one time or another. Absolutely. And if you're willing to see this habit in yourself, the change will be dramatic, especially in relationship to how you experience adversity. Am I right that every one of you has your own share of adversity that you have to face? Sometimes in very dramatic and grand ways, but every day in many, many small ways, you will face challenges that you wish you didn't have to face with the people that you live with, uh, with your work, uh, with the world around you. And this habit, the habit of seeing yourself as a victim, now I want you to get this, listen, this habit is the habit of a man who is not necessarily someone who faces more adversity than other people, but is instead the habit of the man who has decided to see himself and the adversity he faces in a very specific way. That's incredibly critical to get. It's not that he has more challenge than other people. It's just that he has chosen to see the adversity he faces in a very particular way. He will not tend to see that about himself. He will tend to believe that the world is against him. Nothing goes his way. No one has it as hard as he does. Every little inconvenience he experiences feels like a personal affront to him, even when he is clearly responsible for a part of the mess he finds himself in. It will be a matter of how he sees things, not what he's experiencing. And, and as soon as I say that, I want to add this. On the other hand... We know this is true because on the other hand, there are people who are genuinely victimized, who suffer because of the wrong things that others do against them. And even though that's true, they tend to view themselves and their adversity in such a way that it does not overwhelm or overcome them. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever seen someone like this? Uh, on the one hand, you have the person whose life is relatively easy. And, and yet their never-ending uh, series of complaints and, and, and their whining and the tiny violin says, oh, I have it so hard. Whereas on the other hand, there is someone who's been through genuine misery and suffering at the hands of others and still they don't let it overwhelm them. Instead, they rise above their adversity and, and despite all that they've suffered, they become uniquely useful in the world around them and inspirational to the people who will look at them. They are very simply the men and women who have chosen not to see themselves as a victim and instead to see themselves in a different way which changes everything. And that's what I want to set before us this morning because, uh, for a very simple reason, because every one of us will face adversity and how we choose to respond will, will have more to do with the way our character is shaped than almost anything else, will have more to do with the men and women that we become in the world, and this especially. It will determine the outcome of the adversity we face. How will we respond? How will we see ourselves? Will we see ourselves as victims or something else? 
Now, here's how we're going to get into this. I want to set before you very simply the words of one man from the Bible who chose not to see himself as a victim, even though he suffered immensely. Okay, his name is Paul. He wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And, and you can uh, read through them yourself and see how many ways this man suffered. But even though he faced adversity, he chose not to see himself as a victim. And that changed everything. And I want to set it before you for this reason. I would like you to choose the path away from seeing yourself as a victim so that God uses you in the world uh, as he means to, especially in the face of adversity. Now, if you want to follow along on your own, uh, the, the scripture that we're going to look at comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, and it comes from the fourth chapter of that book. And in one concise moment, this man expresses very clearly uh, what the adversity that he himself and others around him had had to endure, and he also says the outcome. And what I want to do is read it with you and then ask you to consider, first of all, the kind of adversity that we face. So this is verse 8 and 9 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Here's what Paul writes. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There in that compressed moment, here's a man who describes in four vivid ways the kind of affliction that people tend to face in the world. And I want to take some time on each one, and here's where I want you to uh, let your own experience of life come into your mind. Not someone else's, but yours. We'll take each term uh, in step. First, we are, he says, afflicted in every way. The Greek term, which is translated afflicted there, means very specifically to be under intense pressure, to be pressed down by an external force, a weight which feels like it is crushing you, to be under pressure. Does that sound familiar? This is the experience of your parents' expectations on you that you should excel. This is the weight of that project which your boss has given you at work, but you know you don't have what it takes to manage it. This is that very, very stifling feeling when you begin to think about providing financially for your family and you're not sure you can do it. Pressure. Okay, this is what it's like when you're in a crowded coffee shop with your children and they're misbehaving, and the strangers around you are giving you those looks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? And then you buy, you buy hot-flavored milk for your son and daughter, and then your son spills his milk all over. Half of the place gasps and looks as the worker there comes and starts to mop it up and assures you everything's okay. And right as he finishes, your daughter spills her milk too. Not that I've ever experienced this. <laughs> we are afflicted in every way means we're under a lot of pressure. Can you relate? And when you're under pressure, you might be tempted to think, oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm under so much pressure. And then you begin to say, well, poor me. The world is so difficult for me. And now you're right away, you're engaging in this particular habit of seeing yourself in a particular way and you are free to do that and you are free to do something else. That's the first kind of adversity. Look at the second. He says, we are perplexed. 
The Greek word here, if I had to capture it with a single English word, it would be clueless. We are clueless. Have you ever faced pressure which is so complicated that you just don't know what to do at all? You're facing a problem that's not singular and simple, and when you begin to think about how can I make it out of this situation I find myself in, it's so complicated that what you find yourself doing is asking the question, well, what now? Maybe it's a small thing like work, or maybe it's a great big thing like an illness that you have to face, or a loss in your family, or some sudden grief, and all you can do is ask, why? Why me? That's what this word means. We are clueless. We face adversity that is such a mystery we don't know what to do or say. Here's the third one. We are persecuted. This is graphic, this one. The Greek word here, persecuted, is the same word that's used for what a hunter does to the prey which he assails. When he goes after an animal and pursues it, to kill it. That's what this word means here. And you know, I know, that in life many of us will experience just that from some of the people around us who we used to trust. Do you know what I mean? You had a great relationship with a business partner. The deal went sour and now suddenly he's become your enemy and he's attacking you and you have to use all of your spare money on a lawyer to defend yourself. I've heard this story many times. Or there was this friend or this group of friends who were so supportive and so good, but then suddenly their opinion of you changes, and now they've become your enemy. They're talking about you. They're slandering you. I'll tell you what, young people have to deal with the pressure of this because of social media in a way that those of us who are a bit older cannot imagine. We are attacked. Or sadly, many of you will know this, every time a person has to go through a divorce, oh, the chances are sky high that the spouse who used to be your friend has suddenly turned into an enemy. Do you know that many of us will know what it is to be persecuted and the pain and adversity that comes from that, yeah? And some of you in here are dealing with that right now. Here, the fourth way he describes adversity is we are struck down. This is a word from the, the world of athletics. It's a wrestling term. It's a term for what that guy does when he grabs you and he throws you down onto the ground and wounds you because he's stronger than you are and he's against you and you're powerless when he grips you and throws you down. It harms you and hurts you in a way that you would say, I carry in my own body a wound from this experience forward. And isn't that a graphic depiction of what it's like when we have to suffer the adversity that was described previously? I want you to think for a moment, do you carry into Renaissance Church this morning the wounds that have come because you were persecuted, because you faced a problem that was perplexing, because you were afflicted. Uh, I want to let you, for a moment, uh, let that wound come into your mind. Uh, it is one of the strange privileges of a pastor, and I experienced this, that people will tell me about their wounds. And please listen. The world we live in is wounded beyond what you can imagine. You think, well, I have a wound, but not the other people around me. You're wrong. We are wounded. We are afflicted and perplexed. 
We're persecuted, all of us. And here's the question. This is very, very critical. The question is this. What will the outcome of all of that affliction be? The person who sees herself as a victim, the man who habitually has learned to regard himself as a victim, that's not an open question. Oh, what's the outcome of all of this affliction? Well, it ruins my life. It makes it so miserable. It turns everything bad. That's the outcome. But on the other hand, I'm telling you this morning that it does not need to be the outcome. The outcome is not set. It's not. It absolutely is not. If you think that the outcome of affliction depends entirely on the magnitude of that suffering that a person has to face, how intense it is, how difficult it is, you are completely wrong. And I know this for sure. And I know it because I've seen, on the one hand, those who've barely suffered anything, who have been taken to pieces, while on the other hand, I've known in my own life men and women who've suffered miserably in a way that's beyond what I can imagine, and yet they are strong. And yet they prevail. And yet they rise up even still so that they become power, powerful uh, moments uh, of good in the world around them. And so I know for sure it cannot be that the, the outcome is fixed. It's not. The outcome comes down to how you choose to see yourself. Either, either as a victim or in some other way. Let's dwell for a little bit on how the victim looks. Sound good? Yeah, now you're ready to see that other person. Oh, thank God. I don't have to talk about my own affliction. Now I can think about my mother-in-law. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> Here's, tr trust me, okay? I want you to, every one of you to see yourself in this. Here's the first characteristic of the person who habitually sees herself or himself as a victim. First and foremost, the person who does this is a person who is self-centered. Now, you might think of the very obvious ways that people center on themselves, but, but wait a minute. What I mean by self-centered, this is the person who experiences every occasion of adversity only from the perspective where they are right there in the center of it. Every time there's something bad that happens, even if it's not immediately about them, the way they will view it is with themselves in the center as if it is all about them. And this can be with uh, suffering of the, the most grand and magnificent kind all the way down to the tiniest little thing which really doesn't have anything to do with them, but they see themselves as if it's about them because they're self-centered. Here's what I mean. It rains on a summer day and they feel as if nature is against them because they planned a picnic on that day. Never mind that there had been a drought around them and all the farmers were suffering because they couldn't produce food. That doesn't matter. The weather is bad because it messes up my picnic. Oh my, the nature is against me. That's what I mean. Okay, this is a person who goes to work and their coworker is very short with them. Have you ever experienced that? Have you? And what they think is, how dare they treat me like that? instead of considering the possibility that that person might be having a really hard time at home. You see? And how they view that moment makes all the difference. Not only for their own experience of what life is like themselves, here this person is short with them and now, oh, how could they do that to me? I don't deserve to be treated like that. That's one outcome. But what if on the other hand they said, I wonder if that person's having a hard time at home. Think of the outcome if they felt like that. They don't because the person who sees herself as a victim is self-centered. That's the first characteristic. Now that 
characteristic correlates with the second one, and it's this. The person who struggles with this habit will be eager to place blame. In relationship to every adversity they, f- they find themselves uh, confronting, the first question will always be, whose fault is this? Rather than the much more productive question, which is this, what can be done to make this right? Whether it's a, an interpersonal thing or something with the weather or the political environment they find themselves in, their constant question will be, whose fault is this? Okay, I'll say this about the political climate that we find ourselves in, and I don't care which side you're on. We are experts at trying to figure out who to blame. Am I right? You're like, which side is he on so I can blame him? (laughs) The Democrats blame the Republicans. The Republicans blame the Democrats. The liberals blame the conservatives. The conservatives blame the liberals. Everybody just wants to figure out whose fault is it? And it's like that out there, but it's like that for us too. I mean, it's a cultural phenomenon and it's an interpersonal one as well. And I mean, it can be out there and it can be in your living room. The moment some conflict starts to rise, your first thought is, well, it's their fault. They did it, always. And the person who is habitually seeing themselves in this way is going to be the person who is right away explaining his miserable circumstances by blaming somebody else. Why he's not thriving, why he's not happy, why he isn't, uh, things aren't going well for him, why his marriage isn't working well, why the kids are misbehaving, why he's not more effective, why he's not accomplishing more in work, why he's not achieving his dreams for him, every one of them will be. It's someone else's fault out there. And it will be hard for him to pause and see that what's really happening here is he's taking a view of himself And he's seeing self as a victim and thereby not taking responsibility for himself. I'll tell you why he can do this effectively. He engages in what social scientists call the fundamental attribution error. Uh, Have you heard of this? Well, let me tell you. The fundamental attribution error, and you do this, and I do it too, is this pattern of blaming the bad actions of others on their character while excusing your own bad actions on environmental factors. That is, when someone's short with me at work, I say, it's because they're a bad person and they're impatient and they're immature. But when I'm short with someone else, I say, it's because I didn't get a good sleep last night. (laughs) It's funny, but we do this all the time. And this is, it is a hallmark of the person who engages in this habit of always seeing themselves as the victim. Blaming. Here, there's a third thing that will will be true uh, of the person who sees herself or himself as victim, and it is that they will perpetually feel powerless. Now, I want to tread lightly here because there are moments of injustice and monstrous abuses of power in the world around us in which one person uses their might and power to harm and hurt another. You know about that, don't you? But I will tell you the story of men and women who have even been victimized by the power that others have exerted over them in evil and wicked ways will show you that even still, a person remains in some measure in control of how to respond and still holds some power. 
And the person who is habitually seeing himself as a victim will wrongly believe that he has no power to change anything at all in his miserable environment. And because he believes that, he won't change anything. And thereby, he will be like a man who builds his own prison and locks himself in it even though the door has no lock on it. He'll be like a young boy who sits alone in his living room at home with the shades pulled on a summer day and complains to his parents about how boring his life is while all of his friends are outside playing. They're all welcoming him and ready for him to come out. And mom and dad are saying, would you go outside and play already? And instead, he sits inside with the window shades pulled and says, oh, but I can't. My life is miserable. Have you ever had a child do that? Have you ever done that yourself? I'm telling you that you might find yourself uh, being in this position, right? My job is so miserable, it's ruining my life. Do we have anyone like that in here? Don't raise your hand if you work with the persons around you. <laughs> Haven't you heard someone say that? You say to that person, well, why don't you go get another job? What do they say? Well, I, I can't get another job where I earn this much. Okay, maybe that's true. Why not get a job where you earn less? This, you can do that. And what will they say? Well, uh, I can't afford this life that I have if I earn less. Okay, why not downsize and move into a smaller house? You can do that, right? What will they say? No, no, I can't do that because the, the house has to be this big to fit my family, and this area is a very expensive area to live in. Why don't you move to a less expensive area? I'm serious, at every step, you find yourself thinking about your job, about the relationships around you, about the way your friends are treating you, any one of them, and you, you find yourself feeling victimized by those things, you must always be open to the possibility that you still have some power, and I know this, and I know it for one reason. It's not just pragmatic. It's because of what I believe about God and what I therefore believe about you, and it is that God has given you Every one of you, a share of his power. Every one of you, the freedom to not choose to see yourself as a victim always so that you get stuck in this pattern of always feeling that you've got it worse and thereby becoming a person who's turned in and has really no positive effect in the world around you. But instead, you are free, every one of you, to turn and go in a different direction. The direction where your adversity does not overwhelm or overcome you that it does not, but that instead you are born through it by a power that is greater than you so that you persevere and so that you, sh you turn out to be a person who shines so brightly in the darkness because, precisely because you've been a victim, but instead of seeing yourself like that, you turn your vision and see yourself in a different way and you are all free to, to pursue that path and I'm gonna show you why in a second. But before I do, I wanna ask you to do this one last time. I want you to look now honestly at yourself and, and say, where am I stuck looking at myself as a victim, where I've put myself in the center of some adversity, where I've just been blaming the people around me or that person or that event, and where I've really decided that I have no power at all. Where is that? I'm gonna ask you to trust me here. Whether you go on seeing yourself as a victim in that moment is a choice that you are making. And I'm asking you to trust me because this is a challenge. If you go out of here today and this week you start feeling like that again, you, I'm, I'm challenging you to take responsibility for the choice to see that, that whole situation in that way. That's the first thing I'm saying to you. And then secondly, this is my favorite thing that I get to say. I want to invite you to see yourself in a different way. Paul, the man that told us about adversity, whose words we read a bit earlier, was a man who 
had to endure affliction of the kinds of which he wrote. That, that was autobiographical for him. He was a guy who was betrayed by his friends, abandoned by his religious community, attacked by the, the power uh, of Rome that was around him. He was uh, many, many times nearly killed. He was physically abused. His freedoms were taken from him. He had even very good friends turn on him and become enemies. So this is a man who speaks from experience. And yet, even though he, he endured all of that, look at his affliction again, just to come back to it one more time. Even though he knew what it was to be afflicted in every way, to be perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, the outcome for this guy is also in those words which I read. And I want you to look at them now. Even though he experienced all of those, he, he could say, we are not crushed. Even though we're experiencing intense pressure, it actually doesn't crush us. He could say, even though we were perplexed, we are not driven to despair. This is a man who knew the complexity of challenges as, as high as any one of us could imagine, but he could write, I do not end up despairing. And even though he was persecuted, he could say, but I'm not forsaken. That is, he's never tempted by the idea that I'm left all alone in this challenge. God has abandoned me. No, it never crosses his mind. And he can say, even though I'm struck down, I'm not destroyed. And not just I'm. Do you notice the pronoun there? Do you see what it is? It's not I, it's we. And I want to tell you now, here is the secret of how this man pers perseveres through adversity. It is that he does not see himself as a victim. He sees himself instead as a vessel. And, and I want to say in a moment why he can do that. But I want you to consider that again. At every moment of affliction, you are free to either see yourself as a victim on the one hand or as a vessel on the other. And here is, here's how he sees himself. It's in the previous words that come in the verse right before he describes the affliction. In verse 7, here's what Paul wrote. But we have this treasure in clay jars. Let's take our time for a minute. Clay jars. That is the self-image that he has. Okay, when he looks at himself, he sees a vessel. A jar is an instrument that is designed to carry something from one place to another. Okay, in Paul's environment, there are a lot of different vessels. The, the most ordinary, the most unexceptional, the easiest to get, the cheapest, and the most fragile vessel of all. Any guesses what it is? It is a clay jar. And it's fragile because clay is brittle, because when clay is pushed and, and perplexed, clay breaks, not clay pour. I know some of you are looking over here. <laughs> when a vessel like this experiences adversity, well, Common wisdom would say, it's done. But when Paul looks at himself, he says, I am a clay, we are clay vessels. He's saying, we, listen now, he's talking about himself and all of us, we are fragile. We are unexceptional. We are not anything special to look at on the outside. Even when we try to dress ourselves up, all of us are fragile and vulnerable. Every single one of us. You're thinking, no, I'm more fragile than other people. I know it. No, other people have just dressed it up better. All of us are jars of clay. And here's the second part of his self-image. And this is very particular. This is a matter of faith. We have this treasure in clay jars. Please listen. That's a paradox. You know what a paradox is? It's when two statements, both of which are true, are put together in such a way that it seems impossible. Why would anyone ever put a treasure in such a vulnerable vessel? But the treasure which Paul means here is particular to those of us who have come to trust Jesus Christ. And I want to I pause here. Maybe not everyone here has made that decision. And if you're not 
a person who has said, well, I've trusted my entire self to Jesus, then I'm going to tell you right now, I'm glad that you're here, and this now for you is going to be an invitation. Okay, if you're a person who's already trusted Jesus, for you this is a reminder, okay, because we forget. The treasure, Paul says, these are his exact words, the treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's a complicated way of saying the treasure which we carry, listen, is the deep and unshakable conviction that God is for me. That God looks at me and he loves me. And not that this is an abstract feeling that God has, but listen, this is why he says in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the conviction that when God looked at me and all of us and the way we victimized each other, his decision was to overcome that mess by coming into the world in Jesus Christ. And listen now, in Jesus Christ, God walks the road of the victim all the way to the end and becomes the victim who dies on the cross for me, who dies on the cross because of me. And he does that so that I never, ever, ever have to be the victim truly again, that now, from now on, I'm free to see myself as the one who is utterly saved because of his grace for me. And that is a reminder to every one of you who is a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it's an invitation to say in this moment, you know, I am done trying to walk through life on my own power and strength, and I want to relinquish myself to the master Jesus, the one who who is God himself with us to carry me and to become the victim for me because I need that freedom. If you believe, and by believe, I mean if you choose to trust him, then like Paul, you can say, we have this treasure, this knowledge, the knowledge of God's power and benevolence in our hearts. And then you are free no longer to see yourself as a victim, no matter what anyone does to you. And instead, you're free to see yourself as a vessel. A vessel of what? Paul goes on to say right there in the second half of this passage. A vessel that demonstrates, he says it here, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. And here's what he means. When a person who has this treasure in her heart is the victim of wrong, and she knows that God there has given her the power to carry her through, she is now free to become the vessel that shows God's power to others in the world around her and thereby no longer has to live as the victim but become the vessel of God's grace and mercy. And that's what Paul wants more than anything. It's what God wants is for us to become his vessels of his love and grace in the world around us. Have you ever seen anyone who does this? I'm gonna tell you a a quick story. This is serious. When my wife was at seminary, she had a group of friends, one of whom confided in her that when she was young, she was the victim of abuse, of the most dreadful kind, from a family, uh, a trusted friend of the family. And this, as it always does, scarred her massively. She, she She had the treasure inside of her, knowing that she was God's beloved daughter, and yet she had to suffer this. When she got off to seminary, she began to study church history and theology and started to study the scriptures. She was captured by a theme from this very same letter, 2 Corinthians, in which Paul wrote about the fact that God comforts us in our affliction so that we can be the ones he uses to comfort others when they face affliction. If you don't know about this passage, read the beginning of 2 Corinthians. My wife's friend read that passage and thought this. I've received enormous help to get through this through years of counseling, and now I'm ready to see that maybe the thing that God is going to do for me and through me 
is to use this suffering that I've experienced to help others. That is, she was ready to look at herself not as a victim, but as a vessel. In her first year at seminary, there was a man who came to speak. This is back in 2002, or 2001, about an organization that he had just recently got off the ground called International Justice Mission. Has anyone here ever heard of that place? I hope that one part of uh, this sermon is that you all look it up, IJM. At that time, it was a small organization that a man had put together to try to combat one of the most sick evils in the world, the sex trafficking trade, in which millions of women, especially young people, are trapped globally. And my wife's friend went to that meeting and listened to him talk. She went up and spoke to him, and she, she excelled in seminary so that she could leave and put herself to work in the environment where she could travel all over the country speaking to groups of people in order to make it so that what she had to endure would not have to be the wickedness that anyone else would have to go through. She, instead of looking at herself as the victim, turned it around and said, I'm going to be the vessel of God's mercy and grace to others so they do not have to endure what I have been through myself. That inspires me. Listen, if you go on seeing yourself as a victim, you will never be used by God in the way that he means to use you through the adversity that all of us will have to face in one way or another. And, and whatever it is for you, this is what I'm challenging you to do. To choose now to no longer regard yourself as the victim, but instead ask God, how can I be the bearer of the treasure which you've put in my heart into the world around me precisely because you've delivered me from this adversity that I have to endure? And here, I want to give you these three things to do. These are very concrete challenges and then I'm done. I'm going to ask you to do the opposite in relationship to whatever you've had to suffer through than the person who sees himself as a victim and that is these three things. First of all, you're going to get yourself out of the center. That is, make a conscious choice the next time you start fretting about adversity to say, let me not make this all about me. Let me step out and try to see this from a different perspective. Secondly, quit blaming. Uh, even even as you are the victim of something that someone else has done wrong, acknowledge that, but then stop always thinking about how it's their fault and ask God to help you see, what can I do now? What can you do through me now? And here's the third thing. This is the most important of all three. It is to accept God's power. His power is freely given in the face of Jesus Christ. He has come to liberate us from all oppression, to set us free from every affliction, and to give us his power to dwell in us, to carry us through no matter what adversity we have to face. And listen now, it is up to you how you see yourself. It is. And I'm telling you, you are a jar of clay, and you are free to accept God's power in you so that the power so that it may be made plain that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. There is freedom in that. Would you join me in prayer as I ask God to give us a deep sense of his truth? God, for these words of the Apostle Paul, we give you thanks. We thank you especially for his witness, a man who suffered immensely but did not become a victim but instead a vessel. I ask very simply, God, that all of us who face obstacles would be given your wisdom to see them as opportunities to be witnesses of your good and gracious power in the world around us. God, free us from the pattern of seeing ourselves as the victim and help us 
embrace the power that you've given us and endure the affliction we must and use us to help others in the world around us. God, we ask this in the name of Jesus, the one who became a victim for us, and we thank you for the treasure which you've given us in him. Help us embrace it and own it today in Jesus' name. Amen.